So if you have your Bibles, would you open them to Colossians chapter 1? Now we're going to be focusing our attention in Colossians chapter 1 towards the end of chapter 1, which is verses 19 through 29. Now Colossians is a New Testament letter, and it was written by Paul. It's the small letter in between Philippians and 1 Thessalonians, if you've got a physical Bible and you're kind of shuffling through there. If you get to 1 Thessalonians, you've gone too far, back it up. If you're in Philippians, keep going. But the reason why I wanted to focus this next few weeks on Colossians is because the message of this letter is a reminder of what we need right now, which is the message of Colossians is Jesus is everything. And we are gospel people, meaning we are a people of the gospel, not anything else. And around this time, Paul was kind of going through some dynamics and challenges throughout these different churches. Because there's people inside the church, not necessarily in the Colossian church, but there's some people who are embracing this kind of influence of the culture and categorizing themselves into little camps and kind of little tribes. There were followers of Paul. There were followers of Apollos. There were followers of, of you name it, of different people. And the problem was that the more Christians distracted themselves from Jesus, the more tribalism and division took place. They were no longer a gospel people. They were a something else people calling themselves Christians. Today, I think that we need this message as the, as the same way as the Colossians to keep our eyes on Jesus and to serve him and to look at how we as gospel people can serve him in West Seattle. In our worlds that's saturated with tribalism, with division, how can we as Jesus' disciples, be his people and be servants of the word. Paul instructs us that living out our faith as Christians is to be servants of the word, a people saved by Jesus, set apart as servants, and proclaim Christ with joy, with purpose, and with energy. So I hope you've, I hope you've turned there so far. Now, I don't know, I don't watch a whole lot of TV because I'm busy at home, busy dad of four, and now with this puppy, you know, we got going on. But I don't watch a lot of TV, but if, if it was my choice that I did get to choose something, I would always choose, and Amy can attest to this, that I always want to watch old, cheesy sci-fi movies. I hope I'm not alone in this. Like, twi you know, Twilight Zone? The more tinfoil, the better. Um, when a few years ago, um, when we were having our, our uh, gatherings in Fremont at 4 p.m., and um, all of our staff, we would go to every, you know, we would do every expression. By the end of the night, I was just exhausted. But one thing that I loved doing is I liked, like, finding an Amazon, like, old, you know, cheesy sci-fi movie. But the other things that I love, I also love old cheesy whodunit movies like murder mysteries you know where there's the long kind of pause on the person's facial expression as they're finding out like the clues are being uncovered i love these movies i love whodunit movies 
recently watched uh, The Murder on the Orient Express or Death on the Nile. Those are both remakes, super fun to watch. But what these movies do well is not special effects. They do those poorly. But what they do well is they kind of show how one detective can see what's under the surface, right? The whole purpose of these murder mystery movies is to show what's not being seen and to kind of crack and unlock and investigate by prodding what people are actually doing. These kind of innocent people who are claiming innocence starts to break down despite their best attempts to maintain innocence. There's blaming, there's pushing, there's moving, there's deception, all of these things. But it's a microcosmic picture of fallen humanity in a world gone, gone wrong. So not to over-spiritualize things in, the, in, in cheesy sci-fi movies or cheesy uh, murder mysteries, but I think that the church is meant to be a type of detective looking beyond what's presented into a reality at hand. That honestly seeing people as they are. Honestly revealing what is hidden. Because when we do that, we discover that all creation is desperately in need of reconciliation. All of creation. Not one ounce of it is not in need of reconciliation. And the more that we investigate, the more that we prod, the more we unravel the problems of the human condition. That is, we are marked by the fall and live in a world gone awry. The whole world is lost in this kind of whodunit film. And we're looking as God's people, as gospel people, to reveal what is hidden so that the gospel and truth can intercede. So that what's being revealed can be sanctified in Jesus. So what are we, how can we as gospel people reconcile people to the Father? So let's read first verses 19 through 20 where Paul shows us who we need and what we need in order to do that, right? Seeking to move us towards Jesus as the fullness of God's reconciliation towards peace with us. Gospel people are saved by Jesus. Verses 19 through 20, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, to reconcile everything to himself, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, when our Bibles say fullness, it doesn't quite give enough drama to this text, to what it's trying to convey in the, in the original languages, that the original language is intending. Fullness here it would be a, a more accurate reading of this is full fullness, is, or whole fullness. Think about a, a forest that's overgrown with shrubs and, and bushes and trees that's just oozing out. It's a full fullness. It's not, it's not a pleasant fullness that you can see. It's full, full. 
It's huge. If you ever heard the theological term exhaustion of God, God is exhaustible. That is what it means. Full. That's what it's referring to. But this exhaustion of God, this fullness of him is tangible. Why? Why is it tangible for us? Because we see it fully and completely in Jesus. Jesus is the full fullness of God. If God could be understood in a complex language, only, if he could only be in, understood in a complex language, only the most brilliant people in the world could understand him. But the fullness that's in Christ is so tangible for us, all that we have to do is look at him. All we have to do is read the scriptures and to see how tangible, how real, how raw and earthy he is. Jesus is how we know God fully. When we see Jesus in the scriptures, we hear him preach good news, we can know what God is like. And God showing us himself in Jesus is, get this, verse 19, is pleasing to him. This is significant because this isn't a detached God. This is a very present God who is pleased to show himself through his son. Totally content, totally satisfied to do it. It is God's greatest pleasure to show sinners and sufferers himself through Jesus and give Jesus his fullness in the flesh as the sacrifice who would reconcile us to himself. And that's where Paul is starting in this passage. To remind us that gospel people are saved by Jesus. He alone is our reconciler in how we know God fully. So, so this is the question that I have. As I was reading and reflecting on that, I was looking through this in this big language that's being said. I thought to myself, how is it then that though we have Jesus, the full fullness of God at our fingertips, we can so easily be bored with him? How is it that as I read the scriptures, I can so easily become bored with the full fullness of God. Being bored with the scriptures, being bored in faith. I think one precursor to being ungrounded in faith and have a faith that's, that's feeling shifted is entertaining boredom. Giving up the fight. And giving in to the desire to turn off. And if that's you, if, that, if you find yourself like that, know that, it, that you're not alone. It's a, it's a continual pattern that Christians will face. There is a temptation of boredom in our faith. But you need to be reminded of just what happened to you when you were reconciled to God. If we were to focus on that word, reconciled, as we see ourselves as gospel people needing to be reconciled, then being reconciled, 
to combat boredom. We need to remember what Jesus did to us as we were saved by faith. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 through 19, it reminds us, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. So then Paul is saying, is telling us to combat our natural disposition to, to loose grounding in our faith and to remember that now, through Christ, we are now set apart in the mystery of reconciliation, in the ministry of reconciliation. What does that mean? It means that now we who have been reconciled come together to present the gospel to other sinners and sufferers and bring them into the presence of God so that they too might be reconciled to Jesus. It's like this circular movement of ministry that God presents us to be. As servants of the word, we who have been reconciled are now reconcilers through Christ. That's full. That's a, that's a beautiful picture. That's something that the world needs and something that we can't be bored with. That's not, that's not interesting. That's exciting. That's exciting news for us. Gospel people are set apart to serve. So let's read verses 21 through 23 together. It says, Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. If indeed you remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you heard. This gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. And I, Paul, have become a servant of it. There are so many of us that feel unqualified from past failures and past regrets and past actions in one degree or another, to speak into another spiritual life. Right? I don't know if you felt that. I've certainly felt unqualified in moments where I've said, like, how could I speak into that when I, too, once had that same struggle? It's hard to speak into that when I, too, have maybe been angry. I've acted out my anger before. This passage teaches us that your past is a part of the testimony of God's grace. Your past is a testimony to God's grace and God's mercy. If there wasn't any evil expressions and actions in your past, you wouldn't be qualified into the ministry of reconciliation because you wouldn't need it. 
Do you get that? Your fallenness and God's mercy on your life is what qualifies you to be a reconciler. All of us have fallen short to the glory of God, but Jesus has set you apart. Do you remember what Jesus said in Matthew and in Luke? He says, blessed are you because you do see. You do see in a world where so many don't. Blessed are you because you see your eyes and ears have been opened. It is your need of Jesus that qualifies you to come to him in the first place. And in that grace, the mysterious nature of the gospel sets us apart as God's people and to be presented now as holy, as faultless, and blameless. Verse 23, I don't know if you, if you got your mind, uh, if you were attending to that, but it, it's a little nerve-wracking. It says, if indeed you remain grounded. Like, if indeed? Like, what does that mean? What happens if I don't, right? It sounds like a bit like works dependent. This is the same guy who said in Philippians 1, that for I am sure of this, he who began a good work in you will see it to the day of completion on the day of Christ. So which is it? Right? Is it me indeeding to remain? Or is it Christ who is going to remain faithful? Holding that to the context of the rest of the, of the, rest of the New Testament, what he is saying is that basically you have been set apart. So act like it. You really have been set apart and presented to God as holy. When God sees you, he does not see your shortcomings. He sees Jesus. Act like it. Be the person I have called you to be. Because I am, he is, God is faithful to you. We are not, well, the saints, the church, will persevere to, through the end. And what we're striving for is not perfection. We're striving for perseverance. We are not striving per, for perfection. We are striving for perseverance. I love this moment in the, in the horse and his boy. Uh, that's C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia. Um, when Shasta, the boy, he meets Bree, the horse, for the first time. And they're kind of collaborating together and planning on how they can escape. And they're sitting there in Shasta. He's never known how to ride. He's been somewhat of an adopted kind of slave to this fisherman. And Bree is this war horse who's Narnian. So he's kind of a royal, strong war horse. But despite, and, and the, the big thing is, Shasta needs to ride Bree, but he's not qualified to ride Bree. Bree's a war horse. But despite all of Shasta's inadequacies, Bree says to him, he says, I'll have to teach you as we go along. If you can't ride, can you fall? And Shasta says, well, I suppose anyone can fall. But Bree says, I mean, 
can you fall and get up again without crying and mount again and fall again and not be afraid of falling? Shasta says, I'll I'll try. And the horse responds in a gentler voice. He says, ah, you poor little beast. I forgot that you're only a fool. We'll make a fine rider of you in no time. It is perseverance, not perfection, that keeps our attention and makes us fit to serve Jesus. So what then is Paul saying when we take those two dynamics and put them together? He's saying that you're not, you are not your biggest failure. You are not your biggest failure. You are now set apart, holy, and a child of God. Yes, you will have failures. Yes, you will have mixed motives. But you ultimately are a new person. Don't shift away from the hope of the gospel. Don't entertain boredom. To think that your faith isn't, un, that is, isn't exciting. Strive for the riches of Jesus. Strive to know him in the scriptures. Don't shift away from the hope of the gospel. You are a gospel person. And it is now in your new nature as in our new nature, as gospel people, to persevere in Christ and to serve him with all our heart, with all our soul, all our mind, and all our strength. So I'd like to share kind of three attitudes, kind of, or postures, if you will, of this passage that describes of servants of the word. Gospel people are servants with joy, purpose, and energy. So let's, let's talk through those. First, joy. Let's read, uh, let, me, let me read for you verses 24 through 26. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for you, and I am completing in my, fe- in my flesh what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for his body, that is, the church. I have become its servant according to God's commission that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known to the the mystery hidden for ages and generations but now revealed to his saints. So verse 24 is one of the most debated verses in the whole Bible. You should like mark it down. You should put a little star next to it, circle it, highlight it on your phone, whatever you need to do because you should highlight hard verses. You should highlight tricky verses, let you think on them, let you chew on them, try to figure out what it means. Scholars have argued for a long time over what does Paul exactly mean here, right? How is it that Paul is filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions? Why did he say that? Well, there are different different opinions, but what it does mean, what it does mean, and everyone agrees, is that Paul is not making up something that is lacking in Jesus' atonement. Jesus 
alone atoned for all of our sins. No one helped Jesus. That's the point of the cross. No one helped him. And all of our scriptures confirm that. Right? The atonement was solo. But what is also agreed here is that there's a close identification that happens that develops between Jesus and his people through suffering. A close identification with Jesus develops when people are suffering for Jesus. In a mysterious way, only in the gospel, suffering becomes a source of joy. A deeper intimacy with Jesus elevates the character of believers. And joy, if we were to think about joy, it should be expressed and it expresses itself in every emotion, every attitude in the Christian life. And in suffering, there's a particular prominence of rejoicing and having this joy. One scholar said that the gospel has always spread through missionary hardship. But there is something more here. There is something far more subtle. Believers grow through their personal suffering. And the good they receive flows to others. Thus edifying the church. Growing and shaping, maturing the church. One, one testament to, to this is, I don't know if you guys remember... Um, if you guys remember uh, Tamara Williams, Tamara Williams, Mike Williams, uh, Mike served as an elder here a few years back, and uh, man, I miss them a lot, and Tamara at one point had um, gone through cancer, and she was going through it, and I, and it was just as I was kind of coming back in as my family was moving back, and I remember the tangible faith that she presented, that she led with. And there was something really powerful that Mike told me one time when we were talking about this, and he was talking to me about giving me kind of an update as I just met them about her, her cancer treatment. And he said, he said, Mark, when I, when I see her and her faith through this suffering, I want a faith like that. I'm a, Mike, he's like our friend. Showing me how through suffering, Tamara's faith became so tangible and so real that it began to edify and mature her husband, Mike. And through that, we too, as her church supporting her, we began to grow as well. Through that suffering, what prevailed was joy. In her life, so that when she makes that, when she made that claim that one Sunday when we were downstairs in the fellowship hall, cancer-free, we all celebrated. But we didn't just celebrate the, that good news. We celebrated from each of us growing in a richer faith together. There is joy in every circumstance for a person of the gospel. To remember that joy is not just about being happy. It's more complex. 
It's celebrating goodness in the midst of hardship. When we serve Jesus, our joy may be accompanied through suffering, but Paul is telling us that suffering will not diminish your joy, but only intensify it. Because in the throngs of the worst, you will be the closest to Jesus. Every blow fell on Paul was a f- fell on Jesus, binding them together. That brings glory to God. That grows his church. Ephesians 3.13 says, So then I ask you not to be discouraged over my afflictions on your behalf, for they are for your glory. That's what that means. It's God is most glorified when every avenue of us is being satisfied in him, including the hard, difficult things. So this leads me then to our second kind of attitude, if you will. That when servants of the word are filled with an attitude of joy in every circumstance, as gospel people, we are then servants with purpose. Let's read verse 27 through 28. God wanted to make known among the Gentiles the glorious wealth of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So technically, the reason why I've been saying attitudes kind of is technically purpose isn't an attitude, but it's very much an attitude. Right? When you see someone having an attitude of purpose, you know it. Right? You know it. When we were, when my family were at the water park, when we're at, when we're going into Great Wolf Lodge, my kids, they're there with purpose. They've got a strut to them. And they've been there before, so they like know, they know the slides. Elliot, he's got like this walk where he's like going up to these slides that he's been on and he's looking at the kids who are younger than him and he's like, this is where I'm going, right? There's an attitude of purpose. There's an attitude there. Drive, motivation, whatever it is. And God wants our purpose to be deeply embedded in his, in his purpose. Just think about that. The God of the universe, the maker of everything, wanted to make his glory known to, a, to the world and explain the mystery of his son, Jesus. And to do that, he chooses us. He chooses us. Our purpose is to share Jesus, to enjoy him, to see the difference that he makes in all of life and grow together. So our maturity then is hinged upon, in some ways, on a shared communal purpose that we have together as we share as disciples. Spiritual maturity doesn't flourish in individual space. Gospel growth always multiplies. It always affects other people. For that to happen, 
It's going to take far more endurance. It's going to take far more faith, patience, and energy. In a sense, it will take all of us and all of us to accomplish that. And that's where Jesus wants to meet us. He wants to meet us there so that our purpose would be filled and we will walk in faith towards him. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what leads me then to think about how we could, if we're going to walk with joy, if we're going to be a gospel people of joy, if we're going to be a gospel people of purpose, then we also need to be a gospel people with energy. Verse 29, he says, I labor for this, striving with his strength that works powerfully in me. So, the scriptures show us Paul, he's, he's wanting to sanctify, he's wanting to, to mature believers in the church together to say, I'm going to strive, I'm going to do everything I can so that you too will strive and do everything that you can and that together we would multiply the gospel and we would show the hope that is within us to all of the people who so desperately need it. But that's really hard. And there's suffering that, that can be... In, in, involved in that but nevertheless he's going to labor he's going to work hard he's going to exhaust himself striving with all of his strength and he calls us to do the same so what does that mean for us well it looks a little different for each of us it looks a little different but our energy can always be accompanied with creativity each one of us is meant, because we have the Holy Spirit within us, is given a great energy that we can provide for God. The question is, are we using it or not? Are we putting our energy in other ways? There's this uh, one kind of pastor, theologian's name is R.C. Sproul, and he, he kind of shared this really cool story of this woman who was saved in Africa. And she was, in, she was 70 years old, she was blind. She was uneducated. She got saved by this French missionary woman. But after getting saved, she went to, this, to her, this French missionary who had kind of shared the gospel with her. And she grabbed her French Bible and she asked her to underline in red ink John 3.16. So the kind of the... French missionary kind of curious about what would happen here. She, she did so. She told her that she did. And then the missionary watched as this woman took her Bible and waited outside of these outdoor classrooms of this um, all-boys school. And as soon as school was dismissed, she was waiting there at one of those little park kind of benches. And she would get the attention of one of the boys and have them come and sit down with her and then she would ask if they can read French. Well, asking if a little boy can read is like a very exciting question for them. 
And so she would ask these, these boys if they could read French, and they would say, some of them would say yes, and then she would open up her Bible and she would say, please read the passage underlined in red. Remember, she's blind and she can't read. She said, please read the passage underlined in red. And as they read that, she would then tell them about Jesus. She would tell them about her faith. And over the years, over 24 men came to know Christ through this woman, many of whom became pastors in that community. To know God is to have great energy for him. Think of creative ways that we might do so. That is having energy for God. Think about Daniel. Think about Daniel, Old Testament now. Think about Daniel in Babylon. The Israelites are surrounded and pressured to be a something else people, right? They're given new names. They're completely taken out of Jerusalem. They are told, not only do I want you to become a new people, you are a new people. You are a different people. You're like us, Babylon. But instead of succumbing to that pressure or that, um, those pressures of Babylon, their energy increased amidst opposition. Daniel 11, he says this awesome passage. It says, but the people who know their God will be strong and take action. J.I. Packer, he kind of talks about this as this is a type of energy that naturally happens to us when we are with Jesus in his mission. He says, while their God is being defied or disregarded, they cannot rest. They feel they must do something. The dishonor done to God's name spurs them into action. So when you think in your life right now about what you see on TV, about who you're interacting with at work, is your energy for the Lord spurring you into an action? Or is it easier to be quiet? Is it easier to let it go? Is it easy to grow comfortable in the constant mocking of Christianity, of our faith? I think it is. I think we can grow numb. We can grow numb to that. For you and for me, I want to have a great energy for God. I want to have an energy to remember that I am, a, I am set apart as holy and, and faultless and blameless, and I am now I get to contribute as a fellow reconciler with the church to proclaim this hope. That's amazing. That's exciting. That's something I don't want to forget. I don't want to lose. And I'm so tempted Every time I see someone mock my faith, 
someone downplay it, someone kind of say, oh, you're one of those people, to be quiet. And I don't want to become ungrounded. To know God, to know Jesus tangibly, to know the fullness of him is to have joy in our salvation, to have joy as Christians, to be walking and have an attitude of purpose and have a great energy for him. Those who know Jesus will be gospel people. And church, we are gospel people. So let us serve him with joy amidst hardship, even in suffering, and encourage one another to strive after that faith and grow together. Let us walk together in purpose. Let us saturate this neighborhood with gospel people filled with purpose and walk with energy and serve him with energy. Our God is too big and too great to grow bored with. Right, church? Are you with me there? Our God is too big and too great to grow bored with him. So when Jesus makes us his gospel people, we become his servants. Servants of the word to proclaim to our neighborhoods and grow one another in a deeper maturity to Christ. So let's pray together in that direction. God, would you help us? Father, we want joy. We desire joy because we're faced with so many hardships. We're faced with so many moments of difficulties and challenges that when these things are directly opposing our faith, it can be easy to grow silent. God, give us joy and give us that purpose that you've put in us. You have set us apart. You have set us apart. Let us believe that. Let that be our reality. And let us live in it tangibly in every way. And Father, I, I ask that you would give us that energy that we need. Whether through any different stage of life, we have a physical energy that, it, that diminishes, and we also have a mental energy that diminishes. But you call us to love you with all our hearts, with all our soul, mind, and strength. So that means, God, that we can have confidence in you to give us the energy we need to serve you with all of ourselves. We love you and we thank you for Christ. We thank you for what he's done as he's reconciled us to you so that we too might become reconcilers and become gospel people. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.